Welcome to the Partnernomics Show, where industry thought leaders discuss the hottest topics in partnerships, ecosystems, and innovation. The Partnernomics Show is brought to you by Iolite Solutions, a product incubator specific to Salesforce. Now here's the host of the Partnernomics Show, Mark Brigman. Miss Melissa, how in the world are you doing today? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Man, I'm excited to have you. Thank you so much for being a contributor to the Partnernomics Show. Super excited to have you roped into this. Uh, really enjoyed getting to know you, guideline, your team, strategy, all that kind of good stuff that you guys have been working on. So been super fun to see. But Melissa, for those that are not familiar with uh, Guideline or you, your career, uh, senior partnerships lead guru at Guideline, <laughs> tell us. Yeah, absolutely. I have the pleasure of leading strategic partnerships at Guideline. We are a fintech company that helps small businesses save for retirement. That's uh, amazing mission. Very happy to be here. And actually, mission-driven has been the through line of, of my career. Prior to coming to Guideline and being one of the founding members of the department, I was at Lyft for a couple years. I headed up several different lines of public and private partnerships as the team lead for strategy and analytics. And prior to that, I was actually a lawyer. So had a couple twists and turns on the career path, but uh, always trying to do the right thing. And, you know, it's just been an absolute pleasure. Partnerships is so fun. Such a diverse area to work in and, and been loving it at Guideline. Yeah, awesome. Well, like I said, I've, I've enjoyed getting to know you and just kind of, you know, just wrapping with you on the, the cool stuff that you're doing, stand up the group and just develop it and building strategies, executing. It's Absolutely. Uh, good, good stuff. Uh, all right. So are we ready to jump into this? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So you have mentioned you get to cheat a little bit, as I call it. You are an attorney or kind of have the, the lawyer background. So first yeah. question is, is that is that an advantage? Uh, you know, having the law background, obviously, a lot of what we're doing is uh, putting contracts in place. Is that an advantage? Well, it might depend on who you ask, and you have to be, you know, a little uh, nervous every time you you say, "Well, I used to lawyer," because that can always, you know, that, that might trigger a person or two of how they might how they might feel about you. Um, but I think yes, it is an advantage, and so in general when you're, you know, when you're learning um, as part of law school, you're trained to really take a fact and, and argue both sides of it. So it's really helped me to anticipate how a partner may react to a fact or issue. And really, no matter what, how to find the silver lining, right? Like how to share how, well, where we are is what it is. And yet here's the value that we can find out of it together. Uh, and an additional area where I think it's been very helpful is in negotiations, both philosophically and tactically. So if we look at from the philosophical perspective, in strategic pa uh, partnerships, it's, it's not quite a marriage, but you're definitely in a long-term relationship, right? As you sign up and work together. So it does not serve you or the partner to apply those very aggressive zero-sum tactics. So... In my lawyer life, it was a pretty niche area. Everyone knew each other. Odds are you would be up you know, against the other side or reputations really had a way of preceding you. So in that way, you, there was some element of that long-term relationship, but you were really ethically inclined to get the best outcome for your, for your own client. 
So you had to be a little bit more hard driving. So there's a little bit of yes and no there. On the tactical side, I think one way that the, the training and the mindset is that we've been able to, you know, make my legal team's life a little bit easier. And I've been able to coach my team how to, how to work with them. Um, certainly feel very comfortable taking first pass at drafts, certainly uh, understand that, you know, where we're, we are for guideline, it's a very heavily regulated environment. And so the devil truly is in the details. So training my team and how to, to think through and get very granular when they're seeking legal guidance has helped us find uh, the gray area between risk to the business, business upside that we can really work with then. So I think that's been very helpful in a, creating momentum and the ability to drive things forward for my team and for the company at large. Yeah, I could definitely see that as I look over my career, one of the biggest, I guess, challenges or learning curves that I had is being able to read, understand, and then even draft agreements or terms. And a lot of times, you know, bottle, there can be some bottlenecks in the legal department. And so to the extent that these partner development leaders, these partnering professionals, they can understand, evaluate, and even draft some language to just expedite uh, that process. But, um, you know, we, we talk about partnering being on a continuum. Sometimes we find, you know, we're leading different partnering initiatives where it's just kind of a boilerplate standard click-through agreement, kind of it is what it is. Uh, other times we truly do negotiate uh, those terms through. But in those cases, I could definitely see we're having a background in law where you already know what indemnification, limitation of liability, force majeure, all these kind of crazy clauses, set off rights. I mean, you kind of already know what all those terms mean and, and how they play into the, in, into the fold. But for a lot of partnering professionals, they have to learn that stuff. And totally. it can scary. take some time. Yeah. It yeah. can take and some time. I think that's where asking great questions comes in, right? Take your legal partner, go out to a beer. What? Give me just normal human speak, force majeure. What, what are we talking about here, right? And over time, you know, developing that muscle, understanding over time, it'll, it'll get there. So, and I think the other thing to your point is uh, when you have to negotiate, take the, take the pen, take the first pass. You won't get it right. It probably isn't going to be in the, the correct legal ease, but at least starts to have you understand, okay, this is what I was intending with this term. And here's how my legal partner changed it from where I started to where it ended. And you can learn from that Delta. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great takeaways there. Also love how you talked about, uh, you know, kind of whenever you're putting agreements in place, doing the lawyers lowering thing, there's kind of two different approaches to that one that we call kind of the single interaction to, to win the zero sum approach, as opposed to understanding it's, it's a relationship, you know, we're going to be working together, hopefully for, you know, quarters or years into yeah. the future. And so it's a, a bit of a different approach. That'd be a fun question for, uh, for another episode. Absolutely. All right. Question number two, go easy right. on me. You know, Mark, I never go easy on you, but <laughs> here's a bit of a softy. Um, right now, you know, it is the wild west of hiring out there, right? So what is one thing that hiring managers should look for or look out for when reviewing resumes for a potential partner development leader? 
Yeah, great question. Man, we're seeing so many different statistics pumped out about how fast uh, this world of partnering is growing. I think IDC put something out fairly recently that said that there's a, a 50% year-over-year increase in the quantity of business-to-business partnerships being formed. Wow. Uh, LinkedIn said 360% increase in the quantity of partnership managers, uh, those positions that have, have come available in the last five years. So partnering has officially kind of hit center stage uh, for yeah. companies. So uh, this is a critical area, as you know, uh, of hiring and going <laughs> through that process. And so, you know, from, from, a, from a resume perspective, um, that's tough. That's so tough, man. I just like to talk to people. But as we know that that's, you know, that's kind of challenging in itself. You know, how do we kind of sift through those? Um, but I would say focusing on, you know, like relationship backgrounds, hopefully. What's really interesting about the partnering space and Lane is literally I've met people from every walk of life who has come into the partnering space, right? Yeah. Attorneys, marketing, sales, operations, even on the dev and technical side, um, they kind of come from all walks of life. I think it's more of kind of that emotional intelligence, more of that understanding people, having empathy. It sounds so cliche, but man, I'm telling you, it's the damn truth. It's, it's not being transactional and it's not being zero sum. Yep. But it's truly seeing those people, which I think it's almost impossible probably from a resume, but it's it's being able to identify those people that really want to create this multiplier effect. They understand that a part of their responsibility in this relationship is to provide value to me as I am for them. And it's, it's tough. It's tough, 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 almost probably impossible to do from a resume. I know. I, I do not envy our recruiters right now, right? And uh, so much of what you said really, really resonated with me. And, and I think to your point, talking to people as a someone who has recently been been on the hiring front, even with 360% growth, still ain't enough. There, like, it is tough, tough, tough to find talent out there. I have, however, found to your point, I'll do my own phone screens, right? I'll get on the phone with them because as you start to chat with them, you can really understand who they are. And that, that EQ needs to come through almost immediately. Are they people first? How do they hold themselves uh, in those initial conversations tells me so much. Um, I agree with you on the relationship backgrounds too. I've also found that some of the superstars I've seen have been first in role whatever it is, it's really fascinating if you find someone who's been able to come into a very ambiguous situation before and thrive in that environment. It's that entrepreneurial spirit that, you know, you and I agree it is so germane to success and partnerships is maybe you don't have the roadmap before you, but you can figure it out and you're going to always figure out how to deliver that mutual value from the fact that you ascribe to an idea of mutual respect and success as I think has been somewhat of an indicator for me looking at resume, but get on the phone, talk to people for sure. Yeah, you, you brought up a, a good point there with kind of the entrepreneurial piece. Um, you know, 
partnerships is on this continuum between more transactional in nature. So I think it's, it's not just I'm hiring a partnering professional, but it's like what lane of yeah. partnership initiatives will he or she be leading? And if it is kind of more, you know, more transactional, kind of more structured in nature, let's say, you know, running a referral partnership program, something to that effect, yeah. Yeah. you know, you, you will hire in that lane, but where it really becomes, I think, more tricky is when you're truly going over to what we call, you know, that, that, that highly collaborative, that more strategic, that less defined side where you're really playing in this realm of, of innovation yeah. and kind of creating this thing as you're putting it together. That's really when you need to look at people that are entrepreneurial. They can kind of think on their own. They have more of that, more of a, a CEO kind of a yes. mindset than say a salesperson just trying to close the next partnership deal or co-selling deal. Uh, so I think that's one of the things that we need to identify first is like truly what is the role and then going after that particular role. Yeah, absolutely. Really good call out. Okay. So next question and uh, near and dear, we're uh, still, I guess, barely in the first half of this year, but man, budgets, always the big question around. We're always, we're, always, <laughs> we're always resource constrained. Should the partnering function and marketing, should they share a budget? Super great question. Money, always top of mind. Resource constraints, always top of mind. Actually a guideline, we do share a budget with our marketing team. And I don't know if it's blasphemous, but I love it. When we are sharing that budget, it really means that we're not negotiating internally for allocation. Now, it does mean that strategically incentives need to be aligned. How we're measured, how, you know, how success is defined for us needs to be aligned. And it, and it is where we are, so, so that really works. Additionally, two unified voices at the table when you start doing budget analysis and exercise is generally better than one. Um, so I would actually encourage you know, to be open to that if that ends up you know, where the, the partnership leader finds themselves. For me, a way that it, it's been beneficial is I am happy to pay for performance. So I will work through economic terms that incentivize great leads to come into the funnel and then close. So then my spend is contingent on the right kind of top of funnel opportunities. And I'll work really closely with my, my marketing and my finance partners to understand what confines I'm working in. If you haven't spent a bunch of time in a spreadsheet, and, and I'll actually share a very quick personal aside. When I first started dating the man that is now my husband, I had no personal budget. The internal family joke is, bougie is that a french term like i've never heard of this it must be fancy and i remember literally crying pulling my my sweater like up to my nose because i was nervous crying as he's walking through a spreadsheet teaching me about my budget so i have gotten better and it is so helpful to understand how a pnl is structured in order to think through structuring economic terms of the partner so i'll work with my my finance partners to understand what's the cac and what's the LTV to CAC ratio is really important to me and kind of where are my limitations. And then from there, when we think about those referral fees, you know, we'll create a one-time referral fee paid to a partner that brings us a lead. And as long as conditions are met, happy to pay that out. Where you can be flexible, I think, is, is how you 
set those conditions, what does success mean for that referral? And that's where the partnerships element can come in a little bit and the negotiation element can come in, but it's really worked for us. So I've, I've been very happy to work with my partner in budgeting crime to keep things on the level. <laughs> that's cool, man. It's one of the things I love about partnerships is, and, and even the function itself within companies is it's a clump of clay. And what works for one company may not work for another, True. but it's kind of cultures, it's people, it's vision, it's leadership. It's all these things put together where you guys get to develop your own secret sauce. I can tell you that the vast majority of the clients we work with, they have separate budgets, right? Between mm-hmm. uh, the, the marketing and the partnering function, but kind of which, you know, this, this realm that you're describing here is very much revenue generation, kind of looking at, looking at those pieces, um, customer acquisition costs, looking at lifetime value. The, the question there is, is it cheaper for us to do it direct kind of organically by ourselves, or are we going to leverage this partnership thing and, and have Melissa stand up a team and run that? And obviously more companies are doing that and there's tons of opportunities there, but I love the approach. You know, like you said, so we talk so much about alignment and alignment isn't just my company with my partner's company. Oh, yeah. Alignment happens internally inside of your own company walls first. And if you're fighting and bickering and arm wrestling, you know, every day for marketing budget, wow, that's exhausting. And that's a, that's a misalignment or an, an unalignment. So actually I love this approach and it's great to, to hear such a positive testimonial for that. Yeah, absolutely. And the visual I almost have in my mind when I think about partnerships is, is like the connective tissue, like all the little ligaments and and all the filament between the bones, right? You've got the whole organism or the whole human body, let's just say is, is the company. All the different departments are the bones and you get to be that really fun, sinewy, connective juice that just makes it all work, right? And that takes cultivation. That takes work to build those relationships. It was interesting. I was talking to a, a colleague of ours and they were sharing that they just inherited a new team, came to a new company, inherited a new team. And one of the partnerships professionals was pushing back on some of the internal, internal work, some of the meeting setting with all the cross-functional stakeholders, some of the necessary whipping of the votes, if you will, that it takes, you know, oh, that EAs should do that. Absolutely not. The greatest part about being a partnerships professional is getting everyone hyped, is finding the finding the win-win for everyone and then helping be that, that connective tissue that pulls, pushes people along towards success. So I, uh, I couldn't agree with you more on, on how, it, how much better it works when we're all moving in the same direction. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it starts with the senior leadership and having their buy-in, their executive kind of cheerleading support uh, for this function, because most of the time, especially whenever you're standing up partnering functions for the first time, I mean, it's kind of like the organization is growing a third arm. You know, it's, oh, it's yeah. kind of like, what, what is that department? What is that group? What is that team? What are they doing? What's their function? And uh, there can definitely open some opportunities for conflict. Again, that'd be a great conversation uh, for the future. All right, five minutes is up. Let's hit the last, the fourth and uh, final question here. All right, Mark, a little bit in the same theme. What have you seen as far as 
the most successful place where a partnership function actually sits within the organization and why? Yeah, I said, so um, my answer, I guess, kind of my vantage point has changed over the last, I would say, decade. Interesting. Especially over the, over the last few years. Um, okay. You know, I think we used to think of, and maybe some of us still do, is like the partnerships team. Like it's a thing. And, and what we're definitely seeing now more is more of those partnering professionals those people being kind of implanted across and deeper into the organization. So what do I mean by that? Marketing, you may have like a partnering guru inside of the marketing organization. You could have a partnerships guru inside of the product organization. And, you know, so it's not like you have a partnering team that has to do all of this wide cross-functional work but you'll, you'll have them distributed in these various lines of business. So, you know, I think it's the, the partnering realm is becoming more complicated as it's kind of becoming more diverse, but I'm an economist by education, not a lawyer, but an economist. And, and I believe that water flows right where it has its, you know, its, its least amount of friction. And we're seeing this kind of evolve everywhere as we're partnering professionals are now getting deeper into the, the different organizations. And so generally speaking, I mean, it feels like still 80 plus percent of partnerships are revenue generation focused. Mm -hmm. And so whenever people generally talk about partnerships, partnering, right, they're talking about referrals and resale and co-sell and all of these sorts of lanes. And then in, in those cases, you know, I've seen them, I've, I've seen those teams report into, it feels like almost everywhere. Yeah. COOs, uh, CMOs, definitely CROs, chief revenue officers, uh, you know, those various lanes. But, you know, again, kind of goes back to what we were chatting about a couple of minutes ago. Partnering is a clump of clay. And based upon strategies, based upon leadership, based upon the support, based upon the backgrounds and the understanding of different leaders, they can kind of fit anywhere, but there's certain boxes that need to be checked. Yeah. One kind of key box is it has to be a strategic, longer term thinking leader. It can't just be about this month's quota and damn the torpedoes, we have to hit this month's quota because partnering goes kind of by a separate set of rules. Yeah, I agree. Um, man, lots to, lots unpack. to unpack there, right? I love it. No, I love it. I love it. Uh, we are very, you know, we have been that lump of clay that has been under the COO, well, CEO, COO, and now we have a CRO. And to your point, he plays the infinite game. And so he understands that we are kind of the longer tail strategy. There's not the pressure to execute on a monthly basis or even quarterly. I mean, absolutely, we kick goals together and we do a really in close concert with marketing and sales who all report into that gentleman. But I think there, there's an understanding of the long-term vision. Um, I wanted to go back to your guru inside the organization and actually share a book. I haven't shared this with you yet. Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal. You as a former military man, um, my, I like it. It resonated with me on so many levels. And 
one of the things he shares about that made their ability to be so successful in a very complicated new world of military operations, specifically with uh, how to how to fight Al Qaeda, was this embedding pro program where, where they would take someone from the SEALs team or someone from the CIA and drop them into intermixed organizations because you develop trust, empathy, understanding, and it allows the organization to be so much more adaptable and move faster, which, you know, the world for so long, business management theory has been about efficiencies. Well, it's not very efficient to take your marketer and halo them into a CS role for a period of time, but darn if they don't really learn about who the customer is and their needs. So that guru inside the organization or thinking through organizations that have a design for business outcomes versus business functions is super fascinating to me. And I could geek out on organizational design for hours, but uh, the book was really fascinating as well. Yeah, thanks for the recommendation. I wrote it down. I'm definitely going to going to hit that. Hey, before we wrap up, I want to hit on one thing that you shared there, because I hear this a lot. And that is, um, you know, whenever we have these revenue focused partnerships, you know, we're we're not you know, executing against those revenue targets, or we kind of do it in a different way than direct sales. Yeah. And what I would impress upon people to, to say or think of this role, it's you're executing against goals. It just takes time to get to revenue as the goal, because you have to build the structure, build the foundation, do the recruiting, build the yeah. processes, the communications platforms, all those sorts of things. So always executing it's just not necessarily executing against a quota yeah no super fair and i appreciate the refinement on the statement and i think it's at two levels right like as a team we will have our own lead indicators let's go out and scope engage start talking to x number of partners right because there's only going to be so many right fits for us and that's going to take a lot of time then we start to sign those partners and then it and then it becomes all right leading indicators of eventual revenue success, how many opportunities are we developing with this partner that then my marketing team can, you know, we can work together to create a really strong marketing plan that starts to bring the right eyeballs into the funnel for them to cultivate, for the sales team to eventually take across the finish line. That is a process of 12, 18 months. We, you are not seeing that terminal velocity uh, or exponential growth for quite some time. So that's where, you know, yes, we're absolutely thinking through quarterly, where's the revenue at today, but how do we start to build for the long tail? Yeah, love that, love that. Melissa, I am so glad to have you as a contributor. This has been Same. super awesome. I feel like I could talk to you all day long. We could totally jam on, you know, all I these know, different let's topics. let's do it. Work, what is that? Let's <laughs> yeah, just Yeah, <hang> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much and look forward to continuing to track you and Guideline. Of course. Thanks so much, Mike, for the invite. For, appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Partnernomics Show. Don't forget to subscribe to get the newest episodes at thepartnernomicsshow.com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Iolite. To learn more about Iolite, visit iolitepro.com. And Partnernomics, the science of partnering. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics courses, coaching programs, and consulting services, visit partnernomics.com. See you on the next episode.